the Crime Cafe, where it's all about crime, suspense, and thriller fiction. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I introduce today's guest, don't forget that you can get the Crime Cafe 9-book set for only $1.99 from all online retailers. In addition, the Crime Cafe short story collection includes five thrilling short stories from five authors, including myself, and it's only 99 cents. Okay, with that out of the way, I'd like to introduce the awesome lawyer thriller author, Reese Hirsch. It's great to have you on the show, Reese. Well, thanks for having me, Debbie. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate your being here, and I'll never forget meeting you at DoucherCon, low those many years ago. <laughs> I know, in my blog post, I, I was uh, sort of casting my mind back. 2009, before my first book was published, that was when, when we met, and uh, and uh, it was a, a very different time for, <laughs> but uh, it, that was sort of the beginning of my my writer's journey here. I know the feeling. <laughs> yes. It was kind of like the beginning of my writer's journey as well, um, certainly my publishing journey at any rate, <laughs> uh, which in a sense are two different things. <laughs> um right. Yeah, I guess you know about that now. <laughs> um, in any case, um, I, can, I had no idea at the time that you were a privacy lawyer. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's really uh, it's, it's really been something I could, I've been able to draw on in my writing because uh, there are no short shortage of uh, scary new developments in the privacy and cybersecurity world. And, and when I was writing my first book, uh, The Insider, you know, it was my first novel, so it went through many versions before it was finally in uh, somewhat publishable form. And in the early versions, I think it was my version of of a Grisham legal thriller, basically. But as it went on, I started to incorporate more elements from my privacy practice, and that's when I kind of felt like it really started to become my own book then a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know... I can imagine that you can probably come up with more scary, thrilling stories than you have time to write, given today's use of technology and the privacy issues involved. Definitely true. Um, for example, I was representing a lot of companies that were being hacked by Chinese hackers, and particularly state-sponsored hackers. And so I thought that was you know, such a mind-boggling new development that I put it into my book, Intrusion, which is the second book in the Chris Bruin series. And um, it, it's sometimes difficult to stay ahead of the headlines, but, but so far... You know, I've gotten a few breaks when Intrusion came out. Uh, the Sony hack was in the headlines, and everyone was talking about state-sponsored hacking. Mm. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, you write about um, hacking and cybersecurity, and my first novel was about identity theft. And uh, the funny thing is that the technology has changed so much since then that my little identity theft case in my own book seems Mickey Mouse compared to what's going on now. Right. Well, you were definitely ahead of the curve there, and and you know even though the technology may change, yeah, you know, the, uh, the the crime essentially remains the same. Right. It's and in some ways, you know, you you can never you know um, you can never entirely keep up with 
you know, the rapidly evolving technology. So in a way, uh, everything you write in this area becomes a period piece in a year or two. That's true. But, uh, you just have to hope that the that uh, it at least is an accurate portrait of where we stood at that point in time, and and that it holds up as as drama later. I think that's absolutely true. I think a lot of people who worry about sort of that sort of dating thing are missing kind of the bigger picture of telling a good story. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. right. I mean, um, yeah, technology changed the way we, you know, thriller writers tell stories so much just having cell phones. I know. You, know, it's a, you have to recognize that anyone can talk to anyone <laughs> at any time and, and update them on, on a, you know, turn of the plot or what have you. It reminds me of those YouTube videos where you see, you know, how this movie would have turned out if everybody had cell phones, you know? <laughs> right. It's like, okay, Casablanca couldn't have been made, uh, The Big Sleep, The Maltese Falcon wouldn't have turned out the same, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> Gets kind of ridiculous. Right. But um, I didn't know that your first novel, The Insider, was a finalist for the International Thriller Writers Award for best first novel. That's fantastic. I just wanted oh, to thank you. Yeah, that was a, that was a big uh, thrill for me, no pun intended there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, that's one of the better things that's sort of happened to me in my writing career. So it was really, uh, you know, great to, to be at the dinner and to be a, a nominee with a lot of great books that year, too. So uh, I think it's all part of being a part of the, the thriller and mystery writer community, which is which is uh, a great community to be in. It is, yes. I agree. Um, I think you've outdone yourself with these uh, Chris Bruin uh, novels. I mean, at least based on the first one, I was really... I was really pulled in. Now I have to read the other two. Um, oh, thank you. What, um, what inspired you to write a series about a DOJ cybercrimes prosecutor in particular? Well, um... You know, I, I wanted to sort of delve more deeply into the privacy and cybersecurity issues after The Insider. And so I, I you know, developed this character of Chris Bruin. And you know, in my practice, I'm a regulatory attorney. So mm -hmm. I, I counsel companies on regulatory privacy issues, like how you know, they can respond to a, a security breach or how they can and can't use your personal information when they collect it. But there, there's another sort of breed of privacy attorney that comes at it more from the litigator's perspective. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what Chris is. And it's modeled in part on some attorneys that I used to practice with at my former firm who were Department of Justice cyber crimes prosecutors in their previous career, and, and they had a computer forensic lab as part of the firm. And so I, I basically incorporated you know, that kind of practice into, um, into my uh, Chris Bruin series. And the, the immediate inspiration for the adversary was that I was giving a privacy speech with one of my colleagues uh, out of town, and we were talking afterwards about you know, what was up next for us. And and uh, my colleague said, "Well, next uh, I'm about to go fly to Amsterdam to knock on the door of this hacker and <laughs> collaborate with local law enforcement and, and try to get him to return stolen intellectual property and, and sign a uh, 
you know, a consent agreement or a confidentiality agreement. And I thought, well, your, your life's a lot more exciting than mine, but, wow. but I can work with that. And then, as you know, that, that became basically chapter two of The Adversary. The only difference is, in my version, there's a body count. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so someone must always die. Oh, yes. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. Um, so in a way, it was inspired by a real event, but you kind of uh, fictionalized on that. Right, right. I always um, you know, try to draw on things that are sort of in the cybersecurity zeitgeist. Yeah. And, and, and often it evolves as the book is being written because uh, I also you know, drew upon the idea of the Stuxnet virus. And when I started writing the book, um, it was just more of a rumor that that this computer virus had affected the, the nuclear centrifuges in Iran's nuclear program. And uh, there was speculation that the U.S. and Israeli intelligence services were behind that virus, but um, no one knew for sure. And then just as I was coming down the home stretch with my book, uh, the New York Times you know, published an article confirming that. And so I tried to incorporate those new details into the story before I put it out there. Hmm. Wow. I would think in your field that, um, that your work must involve um, keeping up with an incredible number of fast-changing state and federal laws, as well as current events. How do you manage to do this and write novels? It is very difficult sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, because I'm, I'm co-head of our privacy and cybersecurity practice, at, uh, and it's a very big, one of the world's big law firms. And so that takes a lot of my time, but I've managed to carve out certain parts of my day where I can just focus on, on writing. And I ride the BART train into San Francisco to the office every day. And so I try to get a seat on the, the train, bring my laptop and, and, you know, write going to work and write coming home and then find some time on weekend mornings. And, and then if you're very, very consistent, it adds up to a book eventually. Eventually. Yes. Yeah. All those little times that you set aside do eventually add up. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, yeah. I'm impressed. I mean, yeah, I used to ride the train into D.C. all the time, and back then I wasn't riding. I was reading all the time on the train, but if I'd used that time toward riding, I can imagine I could have gotten a novel done. Um, well, it's so hard to get the read <laughs> to all the reading I would like to do, too. Yeah, there's I, that. So many great uh, mystery and thriller writers now. I just wish I... Uh, could read all of their work. But, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know there's so much that's good out there that it's hard to keep up. And uh, I was just going to say also, um, with each book in the series about Chris Bruin, does he go a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole in terms of what happens to him in the cyber world? That was he my does. sense. Yeah, he, he does. Um, I mean, in some ways, the... Um, 
sort of the the perils that he faces are even more extreme in in the later books. If the, that may be hard to imagine, because the adversary is is fairly extreme. But but I think the part of the arc that he goes through is that in the first book, the adversary, uh, he's you know, very much aligned with his corporate clients that he represents on privacy and cybersecurity matters and uh, very much uh, a part of a law firm. Mm-hmm. And so during the course of the three books, he, uh, he you know, sort of a split develops between him and his law firm partners. And also uh, he's you know, brought into some, uh, some adventures that cause him to no longer be aligned with his corporate clients. And, and so he sets up his own law practice with Zoe uh, Doucette, who's the head of his computer forensic lab, and they end up representing plaintiffs against some of these you know, corporate clients that he formally, uh, formally advised. So he, he, during the course of the books, you know, I, I hope that uh, readers will be made to think about some of the trickier issues of privacy and cybersecurity law and, and where the balance should lie between, you know, the rights of individuals and the rights of companies and, and the rights of nations, too, to use well, personal information. That sounds fantastic. Um, I understand you're working on a uh, standalone thriller now, something apart um, from the series? Uh, yes, the next the book I'm working on right now, which I hope to have finished, you know, early-ish next year, it's um, it still deals with the privacy and cybersecurity world, but uh, it doesn't feature Chris Bruin, and it's based on some real-life events that I'm fictionalizing, mm. and that's something I've never done before: taking a real character, a real series of events, and then sort of um, inventing. Parts of it. It's, it. I don't want to go into too much detail, but the reason it's so fascinating for me is because this character is one that I just couldn't understand. I couldn't understand what he did in real life and why he did it. And so the press accounts of, of his crime could never get at that. But as a novelist, hopefully I can figure it out in a way that makes sense to me, <laughs> explain yeah. it to readers. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes a true story can fictionalized can be a better story than the truth, if you know what I mean. I mean, the complete right. facts. Because it's when you're, like, when you write a screenplay, you have to structure it in a certain way for people to want to watch it. And the same is true of the novelization. It's kind of like creative nonfiction, I guess. I think that's true. I mean, I really um, admire what Don Winslow did with the cartel you know, taking a lot of you know, real research into the Mexican drug cartels and, and then turning it into this amazing novel as well that, yeah. that feels real. And, and there were certain things about this story that I'm telling that you know, absolutely blew my mind. That there was, There's a, a plot twist that I think any novelist would be you know, laughed out of the room if they wrote it, but I know that it really happened, so I'm going ahead and, and basically writing that into my book because I figure I've got backup on this one. That's <laughs> it, right. It really yeah. did happen. Yeah, it happened, so 
argue with me all you want, but it actually happened. Right, right. <laughs> it not only could happen, but did happen. Um, let's see. Uh, do you think you'll be writing any more Chris Bruin novels? Um, I'd like to, definitely. I, I think there's plenty of material there, and uh, you know, new issues keep coming up all the time out of my practice and and uh, my reading. And so uh, I'm, right now, all, I've, all I can uh, you know, keep my mind on is the current book, but I, I definitely think I'll come back to Chris Bruin and, and Zoe at some point. Well, cool, because I think they make a cool couple. <laughs> Oh, thanks. They were a lot of fun to write. I can imagine. Um, anything else you would like to add before we wrap up? Well, um, you know, I'm just uh, you know, you know, it's been a it's been a great ride. I'm really uh, enjoying uh, you know the book that I'm working on now. I think you know with each book I've tried to sort of push the envelope of what I'm able to do. And, you know, eventually I'll probably fall on my face because of it. But uh, but uh, I think this next one is going to be a little different. So we'll see how it turns out. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Debbie. This is fun. Awesome. <laughs> well, um... Once again, uh, this has been the Crime Cafe, and I'd like to remind you that you can buy the Crime Cafe 9 book set for $1.99 and the Crime Cafe short story anthology for $0.99 cents at any online retailer. And thank you for listening. See you in two weeks. Mm -hmm.